This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. We're moving on now to an interview about a podcast that caught our eye, and it's been making some headlines. It was about how the Teacher's Pet podcast helped catch and jail a killer. Now, I don't think either of you have listened to the Teacher's Pet. I'm well aware of it through friends. Matt Fortune, who's a regular contributor to our show, he devoured this particular podcast in a matter of days. Hugely successful, not quite serial. Of course, it followed on from serial, which really kick-started in a lot of ways the, the, the kind of genre of true crime right up there. Everyone who has listened to Teacher's Pet has said that it is a riveting listen. And what's interesting about those two podcasts that you've mentioned, both Teacher's Pet and Serial, is that these podcasts seem to have spurred on some sort of resolution to the case for decades old cases that had been lingering in some way unresolved um, and has actually been a catalyst to create some sort of resolution to those cases. Now, we're speaking today to Claire Harvey. She's the editorial director of The Australian, which put out the podcast, I should say. She's also the co-author of the podcast, The Teacher's Trial, which is a follow up from Teacher's Pet, which was produced by Hedley Thomas. For, for anyone out there, Zones, that, that perhaps hasn't listened to the teacher's pet, give us a, a kind of synopsis, if you will, of it. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to go through a bit of a background of the story itself. So the podcast released was released in 2018. And we caught up with Claire because we wanted to learn a little bit more about how the case of a missing person back in 1982 ended up finding its resolution four decades later Incredible. in 2022. So... A bit of a a backstory. The story centers around the 33-year-old Lynette Dawson. She vanished on the 9th of January, 1982, never to be seen again, and notably taking none of her possessions, no money to her name as well, and leaving behind her two beloved daughters and her husband, Chris. Let's let Claire set the scene for us. Lynn Dawson was a mother of two little girls. They were aged just two and four. And she was married to a star athlete, a a man named Chris Dawson, who was a rugby league player. He was really famous and he was one of a pair of identical twins, very handsome, blonde, tall, broad-chested men who played elite rugby league, uh, which, as your listeners would know, is a pretty violent form of football that Australians love. So Chris and Paul Dawson, the rugby league playing twins, were superstars. They were also models. They were really famous. And Lynn was a quiet nursery school teacher, a daycare centre teacher, with two very small girls of her own and an enormous devotion to her handsome, glamorous husband. She disappeared in January of 1982 and Chris Dawson maintained that she had just decided that she wanted to have a break. She needed to to get away from their marriage and get away from her children and her job. She'd left without any money, without her wedding rings, without uh, apparently taking any clothes and she never contacted anyone again except, according to him, Chris Dawson, the husband. He said that she was calling him every so often after her disappearance, saying, I just need some more time away, I need to have a break. This was always implausible. You know, suburban mums in Sydney in the 1980s didn't just go and have a break. You know, it was absolutely unheard of. The police in the Northern Beaches, which is a pretty insular kind of place, accepted Chris Dawson's words. I think uh, part of that was the fact that he was a famous footballer. And really no inquiries were made, not even a missing persons case. And 
It really wasn't until a decade later that a particularly dogged detective, who wasn't even on the homicide squad, he was just a detective working in the local area, decided he was interested. He uh, he started looking closely into it. Um, but really, the case gained absolutely no momentum until 2018 when the Australian released The Teacher's Pet, which had elicited a whole bunch of new new witnesses uh, with new stories to tell. Oh, you've set the scene. You, I say you. Claire, Claire has. has set the scene there. I mean, that is it's powerful stuff. And it's just remarkable that no one properly investigated. Yeah. He had this power of personality to Chris Dawson that the police just kind of took his word for these kind of unusual things that he was saying and this unusual sort of account. So this could have just gone under the radar. It didn't receive much attention at the time, as we've established. What were some of the details that didn't add up to the people that made the journalist Headley, for one, and the dogged police investigator that she mentioned feel like there was more to the story? So Lynn Dawson had struggled to conceive children. She was desperate to be a mother. She was a very maternal person. She worked in childcare. She was actually a registered nurse. But she she wanted her own kids and she doted on the children of her, her siblings and of Chris's siblings. So she'd finally had these two little girls and by all accounts was an absolutely devoted mother. The eldest was four years old in 1982 and Lynn was really looking forward to her starting school. So that seemed implausible that someone who had been so devoted to these children and who was so looking forward to their future would just walk away. Claire told me there was another thing that struck people as odd. Lynn had gotten in touch with a local artist, commissioned sketches of her little girls. So the artist comes home, she went away and did the sketches, and she calls the home once they're ready. Chris Dawson picks up the phone and, according to the artist, says, well, we don't want them, Lynn's gone away, and she's not coming back, and then basically hung up on her which did strike people as odd because, first of all, why would he not yeah. want them? And also, why would he say she's not coming back? But here's where we get a little bit of a twist in the story because why would Chris Dawson, who is a school teacher, have anything to do with the death of his wife? After Chris Dawson's wife apparently left the home, he moved into the house very shortly afterwards. Uh, a young woman, she was 18 by then, but she had been 16 when uh, she had first begun working for the Dawson family, who was a babysitter. She was a student. Um, Chris Dawson had previously been her PE teacher, physical education teacher at school, and they um, began a sexual relationship, which ended up with Chris Dawson marrying her. So what we find out through the podcast is that Chris had become obsessed with this 16-year-old student. He was teaching at Cromer High School around Sydney's northern beaches. Claire explained to me that there was a bit of a surfy spirit, a real laid-back vibe in this area around the 1980s. But that relaxed vibe also made its way into the school system. Teachers would meet students in the pub after work. Some of the normal boundaries that you might expect to see were blurred and crossed. And as we heard from Claire, the student who was known in the media as J.C., became a babysitter for his children. They started an affair, but then Lynn found out. The student was also trying to break it off, but Chris was absolutely desperate to be with her. At least that's the story that we hear. So according to her testimony that came years later in this trial, JC claimed that in early 82, Chris had told her over the phone, Lynn's gone, she's not coming back. Come back to Sydney to help me look after the children. They ended up getting married two years later. And yet, as we've heard, the case never raised enough suspicion to convict Chris. Surely that would be oodles of suspicion. You would think. But exactly. Surely husband in K-1 
case of wife that disappears is number one sus- de facto suspect. Yeah, yeah, and, and there's a stat out there that more often than not, it is a loved one. It is the right. husband in these situations. And you would think an eyebrow would be raised very shortly after losing his wife, for goodness sake, who's not. By the way, he's perpetuating this notion she's calling, she'll be back soon. And he moves in the former babysitter who happens yep. to be 18 years of age. I'm sorry, I don't even need to be a policeman or woman to be knocking on his door saying, hey, you're dodgy. Yeah. Come with us for a quick word, you know. man in his mid-30s, a teacher, getting married to his 18-year-old former student. Yeah, it's... I mean, it's all a bit suspicious, but it really took Headley's podcast, which came out in 2018, with some new evidence and also to raise some concern among the public to kind of move this case along. So I did ask, what was a key piece of new evidence that he unearthed, according to Claire? He found a lady who was very elderly and who has now passed away, who worked in the centre of Sydney. Uh, remember, this is the 1980s. And if you wanted an, a nice dress to wear to a wedding or to a fancy event, you would... Um, perhaps get it made for yourself at a, at a dressmaker's. So this lady was a dressmaker who worked in central Sydney. And she described uh, when Headley interviewed her in a, an aged care home, Lynn having come into the, to the shop to be fitted for a dress for an event. And she said that when Lynn took off her clothes to be measured for the dress, there were bruises on her upper arms that seemed to be finger marks and that there was a massive bruise on Lynn's thigh. And that when she was asked about it, Lynn said, oh, yes, I'm, I'm married to a violent man. Um, there were a few other witnesses like that who'd described seeing bruising on Lynn Dawson and who had described um, episodes where uh, Lynn had described being a victim of violence at home. Um, but she was the one who stuck out the most for me. You know, she was a, an important an important witness. Headley also found two people who came forward after the podcast had begun airing, who the police didn't know about. One of those was a guy who, a young boy who was age 16, who collected shopping trolleys at the local supermarket. So back before Lynn's disappearance, according to this boy, the trolley boy, said that he had been interested in the babysitter. He he liked her. She was a girl at school. They were both 16 years old. And one day he was at work pushing his train of trolleys and Chris Dawson appeared, the famous footballer, the sports teacher, this enormous man, pushed him up against a wall and threatened him, told him never to go near the girl again. So this is while Chris was still married to Lynn Dawson. And uh, he had never forgotten it. And he came forward and told Headley about that. And um, that, I think, was also critical in, in having Chris Dawson charged. That was evidence, um, as the Crown said in the, uh, in the ultimate trial, that Chris Dawson had an interest in um, the young woman that was more than just a, a normal teacher-student relationship. It is really quite remarkable, very unusual kind of stories that we're starting yeah, to hear out I mean, of this case. Again, the fact that these guys and girls are only coming forward for a podcast, for goodness sake, you'd have thought... They would have come forward. Again, though, Chris did a great job and, you know, pulling the wool over everyone's eyes. He went free for all those decades. Amazing. You know, in terms of the trial, Claire explained to me, our guest, Claire Harvey, who works at The Australian, said that with a jury trial, you don't usually know the reason that a person is being convicted. There's so many different people involved, Mm. so many different factors. Now, with this trial, because he was seen by just one judge sitting alone, and this was because of the high-profile nature of the case, he had argued, Chris Dawson had argued, that he wouldn't be able to get an impartial jury because of the podcast. 
So it was seen by just one ju- judge who gave a proper description of exactly why he decided to convict Chris Dawson. So it was a judge alone, Justice Ian Harrison. And when he brought down his verdict, we got the benefit of five hours of him reading aloud the reasons why he was convicting Chris Dawson. And it came down to the fact that the judge found Chris Dawson had lied from the very beginning, Um, that there were clearly lies, um, even from the day after Lynn disappeared, that were easily shown to be lies. And that those lies demonstrated a consciousness of guilt. If Chris Dawson wasn't guilty, there would have been no reason to lie uh, about where she was or what she was doing. The first big lie that he told, well, the first lie that he told was that Lynn had called him um, at a swimming pool where he was working as a lifeguard the day after she disappeared and begun saying what he said she said after her disappearance. I I need a break. I'm... I need some time away. The judge found that that phone call didn't happen. And the the reason he, he knew that was that um, another person who had come forward was a young lady who worked at the pool who happened to have kept a diary on that day in 1982. And she said that a, a key staff member who Chris Dawson who Chris Dawson's claim relied on didn't happen to be working that day. So there was a the remarkable coincidence that a young woman had kept a little diary and had hung on to it for 40 years became an absolutely crucial piece of evidence. That is extraordinary. That is extraordinary. How wild is that? The fact that it happened to be somebody working at that place that he made a lie about a phone call would have kept a diary of all the people working that day Hmm. and would happen to have held on to that diary for that. It's crazy. It's hard to even believe. Also, the fact a podcast something that is essentially just entertainment Mm. can be the key driver in reopening a case and yet Netflix is making a murderer has almost had the opposite effect. It's caused that those authorities to double down. Double down on it. Yeah. Mm. You're not wrong. Yeah, and well, this is the thing is, again, as we were saying, the police don't like to be proven wrong and they, you know, want to sort of uphold their reputation. But this isn't the only case. I mean, we talk about this teacher's pet case and, of course, Chris Dawson was finally convicted of murdering his wife, Lynn just this year, four decades after the crime was allegedly committed. And beyond this case, you look at Adnan Saeed's case as well, because as Chris, you were referencing earlier, Baltimore prosecutors decided to drop all charges against him, even though he spent over two two decades behind bars for the 1999 killing of his ex-girlfriend. And it was all featured in Serial. The reason is they decided to dismiss the charges because they had results of advanced DNA testing of her shoes, her skirt, her pantyhose, and her jacket that actually ruled him out. So they had access to all of these items that they had never before tested. Because of the pressure, because of the podcast and the attention given to this case, decided to go ahead and test it and actually determined that it was not him. Shocking. involved in her murder. So they had access to all of those things. They could have done it, but they just didn't. It took this sort of longer form um, piece of journalism to really get them to do that. I did speak to Claire about that. And she said, really, it's, you know, the fact that podcasts have this longer form narrative that they're able to take on and that they're able to zip around the world so yeah. quickly and get so much attention. And that's why they seem to have this power. So thank you once again to Claire Harvey from The Australian and, of course, the co-author as well of The Teacher's Trial, which followed the trial of Chris Dawson. 
the Offscript podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 